Well, how do you keep going at serving people on your front line when your boss is a crook? How do you remain self-giving and vulnerable in the world when it's a dog-eat-dog world? How do you love your neighbor when your neighbor isn't necessarily going to love you back? Well, those are the questions that I think today's passage is raising for us and is going to try and help us to answer. Uh, We've been looking over the last few weeks at the life of Jacob. And this morning we've come to a turning point in Jacob's life. Uh, And it's going to set the direction for the rest of our time following Jacob's story. Have a look back at verse 3, page 33. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. The background to this is that Jacob is someone who God has promised to bless, and that through his descendants, the whole world is going to be blessed. Ultimately, that's a promise that is going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, Jacob's descendant. But Jacob had to trick his brother Esau to get the blessing, and so he had to leave his family home and go and live hundreds of miles away with his uncle Laban. Jacob arrived at Laban's home with absolutely nothing, penniless. But over the past 20 years, Jacob has worked, and he's earned the right to marry Laban's two daughters, Rachel and Leah. And he's also grown prosperous as he's managed Laban's flocks for him. And he's done that, despite Laban being a total crook. Uh, If you want to know how much of a crook Laban is, just turn over the page to page 34 and have a look at what his daughters say about him. Uh, We're looking at verse 15. Does he not regard us as foreigners, Rachel and Leah say? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. The way Laban's daughters describe their dad makes him sound like a total black hole. He's somebody who has sold his daughters uh, to Jacob, and already he's used up 14 years of money that he got from them. Jacob is a big black hole, sucking up money. That's all he lives for. And everything else in his life is just an end to that great aim that he has of sucking up money. And so as Jacob prospers over these 20 years, the relationship between Laban and Jacob uh, is simmering away, but it now is reaching boiling point. Because crooks never like other people to prosper. And they particularly don't like it when they are suffering at at the expense of someone else prospering. And that's what's happening here. And so uh, now there's friction, there's blunt, angry words between Laban's sons and Jacob. And there's frosty looks coming from Laban himself. But he's kind of quite a sly guy, so he's not saying anything yet. But now in verse 3, God steps in and he says, I am with you and it's time for you to go home. Uh, We we call this series A Life Less Ordinary, Uh, and that's because Jacob and his family are really very ordinary people, Uh, and they face the ordinary challenges that we face in an ordinary world, a world full of broken homes and families, a world full of people who are out to get what they can from you. But Jacob and his family live an extraordinary life because God is with them, and they're on a journey of faith trusting in God's future promises to bless them. And so we've been seeing that we can learn 
lots from them as Christians today, as Christ's people. Uh, We too are living in a world with its challenges. But we're on a journey of faith, trusting in God and his future promises to bless us. And and so as we follow this family on their journey home, uh, we'll be learning from them and from those who have gone before about what it looks like to live this life of faith uh, as we face the challenges they face. And today what we're going to see in particular is how we can be a blessing in a dog-eat-dog world. Well, Cherith uh, ended the reading there on a cliffhanger. Uh, And so in a moment, we're actually going to carry on through chapter 31 and read the rest of the story together. Um, But first, uh, I want us to notice a little thing about the departure. Just have a look at verse uh, 17. Um, They're packing up all of their belongings and their assets. Um, I'm imagining suitcases stuffed full of the toys. Remember, there's 12 children. If you multiply that out, that's a lot of toys. Uh, A lot of suitcases being stuffed full probably chaos packing up and they're doing it in a hurry Um, and they're doing it in a hurry because Jacob doesn't want to tell Laban that he's going he doesn't want to look him in the eye and say Laban great to see you we're away Uh, instead Jacob chooses to steal away I don't think he really trusts that God would let him get away from Laban fully well in all this whirlwind of activity Uh, The writer chooses to focus in on just one particular item that gets slipped into the luggage. I don't know if you noticed it as uh, we were reading the passage. Have a look at verse 19. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Whoops, just slip a few idols into the luggage. You can imagine that's not a great thing to do. Uh, It's going to annoy Laban. But more than that, it shows that Rachel isn't fully committed to trusting God yet. She wants a little bit of insurance as she goes away on her travels. And so we're questioning as they flee, Rachel's trusting God and Jacob's trusting God. Neither of them seem fully committed to God yet. But they are showing a lot of trust in God all the same. Well, I wonder if we've got some sympathy for them. Trusting God, yes, but also wanting to have a little bit of protection, a little bit of a helping hand. It's difficult, isn't it, to fully commit everything we have to God. Well, let's see, uh, let's pick up the story and see whether God really can protect uh, Jacob and his family. So we're going to carry on reading now uh, in verse 22, so you'll want to follow that in your Bibles. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? You've deceived me, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so that I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of tambourines and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You've done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. 
So word eventually gets to Laban that his daughters and his gods have gone. And so he saddles up his camel and he gets his men and sets off on this week-long chase. Uh, Jacob's got a three-day head start, uh, but eventually they catch up and they pitch their camels and get down. Um, And I'm thinking kind of Wild West at this point. It's a kind of a showdown, uh, Jacob versus Laban. And it really is Wild West. There wasn't any other law in these days. They could have done to each other whatever they liked, and no one would have known. No one would have cared. But in verse 24, God stops that happening. He came to Laban, and he said, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Good or evil. In Genesis, that means judging. It means having the authority to judge. And God is telling Laban that he does not have the right to judge Jacob, because Jacob is with God. And so when the confrontation happens, we kind of know what's going to happen. But Laban still goes through all the motions. Uh, I think he's got a few tips from James Bond villains here. He's kind of mixing in the kind of the smooth talk uh, with some really unsubtle menace. Uh, You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren goodbye. I I wanted to send you off with harps and tambourines. Uh, You've done a foolish thing. He kind of can't really work out which, which line to take. Um, and Laban's almost getting this close to, to Jacob. You know, he's kind of breathing down his face. He really wants Jacob to feel this. I have the power to harm you, he says. But, but last night your God said not to touch you. And so it's all smiles, kind of. Everyone starts having a, a cigarette and calming down. But both Laban and Jacob are very, very clear that there's only one thing that stopped this conversation from turning into a fight. And that's that God spoke and appeared to Laban the Aramean and told him not to harm Jacob. God has protected Jacob. God is with him. That's what it means for God to be with him. He will protect him. And so actually Jacob and Rachel didn't need to be afraid. They didn't need to look elsewhere for protection. They really could trust God. The New Testament tells us that God is with us too. And this is what it means. It means that we really can trust God to look after us. Well, we may say, well, where's God when I'm going into work tomorrow morning? Um, where's God uh, in my divorce? Well, we, it's right that we don't necessarily expect God to step in every time something goes wrong in an obvious way to stop it happening. But we can know that God and his power are working for our good. And the New Testament shows us this by pointing to the resurrection. Um, Paul uh, prays for Christians um, that they would know his incomparably great power, that's God's power, for us who believe. And then he goes on, he says that power is like the working of God's mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, above every title that can be given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Do you see the point? Jesus is now exalted above every person, every power in this world. And his power is at work for us. He is keeping us and guarding his people. And so that means this world is not the Wild West. It's not a dog-eat-dog world. The Labans of this world 
really do not have the power to harm us at the end of the day. Christ is in charge. And his power is working for our good. God is with us. Now that's not saying we can kind of cool down a lightning bolt whenever we're in trouble. Uh, No, we follow God. um, But we can be confident that whatever dangers we're facing, um, God will use them for our good. And he will bring us home uh, to rest in him. Um, The Apostle Paul himself, at the end of his life, was facing death in a Roman prison cell. And he said this, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. God is with us. Well, let's go back to the tense standoff in Gilead. Um, And Jacob's family aren't out of the woods yet. Um, Laban says in in verse 30, uh, Now you've gone off because uh, you long to return to your father's house. He understands that. But why did you steal my gods? Well, Jacob knows nothing about the the stealing, and so he makes one of those vows that nearly always turn out to backfire. He says, If you can find anyone who has your gods, he shall not live. Well, let's continue the reading and see what happens. Verse 33. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maidservants, but he found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. So Laban searched, but he could not find the household gods. Three times it says that Laban looked and he found nothing. And so even though Laban looks high and he looks low, it says that he literally felt through everything in the tent. He finds nothing. And it's becoming embarrassing for Laban now. The Bond villain is kind of like the end of a Bond uh, film where he's on his hands and knees scrabbling around looking uh, for what is most valuable to him. And it's not just embarrassing for Laban, actually. If you think about it, it's also very embarrassing for his gods. You'd have thought if these little statues uh, had any power at all, they'd make a little bit of noise, uh, maybe a little squeak, just to let let Laban know that he's right there. And on top of that, they're being sat on by a woman who's having her period, uh, which if you know the Old Testament uh, is symbolically, and only symbolically, but symbolically uh, unclean. So are you seeing the contrast between the God of uh, Isaac, the God of Jacob's father, and these gods of Laban? It's very powerful, isn't it? Jacob's God steps in to protect his servant. Laban's gods, well, they leave Laban on his hands and knees, crawling around in his daughter's tent and being made to look silly by a daughter who hates him. Now, Laban is really not a stupid man. We've seen him pull off some pretty clever tricks uh, in our series so far. But he is being made to look very foolish by his idols. And we may think, well, great, 
you know, silly him for going and chasing around after these figurines. Uh, after all, that's what people did uh, back in those days. Uh, what's that got to do with us? We didn't need the Bible to tell us that's stupid. Uh, but the thing is, the New Testament warns us of idolatry too. And it actually says that greed is a form of idolatry. And what is Laban's idolatry ultimately? What is the thing he values most? If it's not greed, his love of money. Um, this little picture of Laban walking away from his daughter's tent empty-handed and embarrassed is actually a mini-picture of what happens at the end of the story uh, when he walks away from this whole situation with nothing. Um, and it really captures, in a nutshell, how greed has wrecked this man's life. He's going to end the story empty-handed, waving goodbye to his daughters who hate him, his grandchildren, and waving goodbye to the blessing of God in his life that came through Jacob. And all because he was greedy, because he was just a black hole that just sucked money and so ruined his relationships. And so Laban is a great example to us of the foolishness of greed, which is idolatry. Well, I don't know about you, but I see quite a lot of Labans around us. Uh, according to some statistics from Wealth Insight, Belfast has got the third highest percentage of millionaires in the UK. Uh, just behind Aberdeen and London comes Belfast. Third highest percentage of millionaires live here. Um, and I tried to get a, an estimate of house prices in Belfast. Um, and I found that in East Belfast, uh, they're nearly 20% higher than the rest of the city. And that was the whole of East Belfast. I'm guessing that in our part, they're probably even higher still. Now, I'm not saying we're all rich. Um, and I'm not saying it's wrong to be rich. But what I am saying is we do have riches all around us. We've got a lot of Labans all around us. And it would be easy for us to envy them, wouldn't it? It would be easy for us to think, I want what they've got, and to make money our idol, to become greedy. Um, and so let's learn a lesson this morning um, from the way Laban, um, this lover of money, was left empty at the end of the day, bankrupt relationally. The way his desire for wealth sucked him and his family dry and ultimately left him with nothing. Because that's what it will do to us today. We all know people, don't we, who, who are very wealthy, but ultimately have got very, very little, either in terms of their relationships and happiness and joy in their lives, and also in their relationship with God, the one who blesses us and protects us. The takeaway point is that the God substitutes like money cannot compete with God himself. Um, now, money is a blessing, but only as it's used as a good gift from God. If we start seeking it for its own uh, terms, then it will just become worthless. And the thing is, if we think about what the Bible tells us, we really don't need these empty promises of money. God is with us. The God who is our Heavenly Father, who loves to give us what we need uh, is with us. He blesses his people. He protects them. He keeps them from evil. And he guides us on our journey uh, to our resting place in him.
We have a much better God than Laban had. We have a God who will not let us down, who will not put us to shame. So let's trust in him. Well, we've seen where greed ends up leaving Laban. Um, Well, now let's see what it does uh, to Jacob and how it's changed his life. Um, And so we're going to read the next section, and this is where we're going to conclude for this morning. So verse 36 now. Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. What is my crime, he asked Laban. What sin have I committed that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us. I've been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment for me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would have surely sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. Laban answered Jacob, The women are my daughters, and the children are my children, and the flocks you see are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine, or about the children they have borne? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. And then for the sake of time, we'll just fast forward to the conclusion of the story. Look down to verse 53. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. He offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they had eaten, they spent the night there. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. Well, the tables are turned here now. Uh, Instead of Laban confronting Jacob, it's Jacob confronting Laban. And you can really sense the emotion, can't you, as you read it? The injustice of the whole situation has finally become too much for Jacob. Twenty years of pent-up emotion finally comes pouring out in one massive rant. But it's interesting, as you look at it, um, Jacob doesn't resort to name-calling Instead, he just points out the facts to Laban. Laban's been treating Jacob the way greedy bullies everywhere tend to treat their workers uh, or their suppliers, uh, expecting him to work all hours, uh, getting him to endure the losses himself, attempting to cut his pay ten times without taking a pay cut himself, uh, pursuing Jacob for every last penny. I don't know about you, but in this environment, I am absolutely staggered that Jacob was able to serve Laban like this for 20 years, to serve him so humbly and sacrificially. I think it's shocking. Uh, He didn't just do an excellent job. Did you notice that? He actually did more 
than was required of him. Uh, Normally, for example, uh, in this kind of industry, you'd be entitled to claim expenses if you lost any of your flocks to wild animals. But Jacob didn't do that. He says, I bore the loss myself. And for 20 years, he didn't take any shortcuts. He worked night and day. Let's just look back at verse 40. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. This is a hero of the faith. This is someone who we we look up to and say they did great things for God. And his great things for God for 20 years looked like not having very much sleep because he was trying to do a good job uh, that he said he would do. It's interesting, isn't it? I think that really backs up what we were looking at last week uh, when Christoph was saying that it is in the ordinary life that we can serve God. Uh, that's exactly what Jacob does here. And I can't, think, I can't help but think of Jacob's greater son here, the, his descendant, Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus did the same thing too, didn't he? He came and gave himself sacrificially to serve people who were selfish and greedy. People like us. And he did that to come and take God's just anger at our greed. He bore it himself. He bore the loss himself. I don't know about you, but I just wonder, how, how, did, how did they do it? How did Jacob do that? How did, Laban, uh, how did Jesus do that? Jacob has clearly been refined, hasn't he, over these 20 years of service in Laban's household. Those 20 years of hardship have changed him. Uh, And last week we saw how he gave the credit to God for his prosperity, and now he gives the credit to God for his protection. Verse 42. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would have surely sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. Great encouragement there to all of us who feel like we're laboring away unseen. We are seen by God. Our hardship and our toil is seen by God. Um, And Jesus knew the same thing. Um, The Apostle Peter says that when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. To God. Jacob and Jesus both knew that this is not a dog-eat-dog world, that there is a higher power, and that they could look to their Heavenly Father for both blessing and protection, and ultimately victory. And so they were able to give themselves sacrificially, generously, to serve people around them. God's generosity had made them generous. And it will make us generous too, the more we grasp it. A a few months ago, we were looking at 1 Peter together, and Peter was telling us uh, to submit ourselves to our masters, not only to the ones that are good and kind, but also to those who are harsh. I think a lot of us were very challenged by that. Um, What does that look like? How could we do that? Well, Jacob here is a worked example of what that means. Uh, He serves, he gives himself for 20 years 
to serving Laban, as he said he would do. Um, And he doesn't respond to Laban's tricks by not doing a good job himself. And I think that probably surprises us if we've looked at Jacob over these past few weeks. We'd expect Jacob to be kind of um, just uh, doing the same thing back. But he doesn't. He serves. He does an excellent job, uh, even more than he's asked to do. If Jacob was just living for money the way Laban was living for money, he could have never have done that, could he? If that was his world, just money, he'd have had to have done something different. But he believes that there is more to life than money. He believes he has a heavenly father who will provide for all that he needs. And so he's able to give himself uh, to serve Laban. Uh, This doesn't mean being unrealistic, though. Um, Jacob knows when to leave, doesn't he? Um, And he also knows uh, when to strike a deal with Laban. That's uh, what happens at the end of these verses. Laban's like, okay, let's have a peace treaty, non-aggression. You go your way and I'll go mine. Um, And Jacob doesn't get sniffy about that at all. He's happy to make that bargain. He's happy to say, okay, great, off we go. Um, Interestingly, though, Laban starts talking uh, as though Laban and Jacob both believe the same God. We all believe the same God, don't we? Um, And interestingly, Jacob doesn't compromise on that point. Have a look at verse 53. Uh, So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. He's very, very explicit that his God is the God of his father Isaac. It's not the same God. And so he's wanting to kind of live in the world and do business there. But he's also wanting to make absolutely clear where his red line is. He's not going to compromise on his faith. I think that raises some interesting questions for us generally, but I think as a church, it'd be great if we considered, how do we live in this world? What are appropriate compromises? Where are our red lines? Uh, And where will we seek to do business as we live as God's people in our world? Lots of questions I think that raises, Um, but we need to finish up now this morning. As we go into this week, Uh, of living as strangers in the world, Uh, what are we going to take from this passage? Well, I hope we'll take that our God is generous, that we have a heavenly Father who blesses us and protects us and provides for us. Uh, Someone who's willing to give us all that we need and more. I don't know about you, but I often find myself falling into the trap of thinking that God is a little bit like Laban. I I feel like he's going to be someone who just takes from me who just wants things from me, who's going to change the deal, um, and I'm going to get shortchanged and left out. But I hope we can see from this passage that God is not like that. He loves to give good gifts to his children. He's overflowingly generous. Uh, he's consistent in all his ways. And he's with us. So if we're struggling... Uh, with toil and hardship this morning, like Jacob, I hope we'll take heart that God is with us and that that means that he will protect us, that he will bless us, um, and that he will know our situation and bring us through it to his heavenly kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that even though we are selfish and self-centered people, you have chosen to be with us by your grace. 
We thank you that you sent your, your son, our Lord Jesus, to come and die for us so that we might know your grace for ourselves. And Father, as we live in our world, we pray that we would know more and more of your goodness and your generosity to us. We ask that we grow in our trust of you and that that would enable us to be generous ourselves, to live as people who can give ourselves to others, to serve them appropriately, um, trusting that you will provide for all of our needs. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.